Lord, um, thank you, Lord. We are grateful for all that you do. I'm very, very grateful. Um, I'm grateful that we can call you Father, and you look at us as your children. Um, we're grateful. So I ask you, Lord, uh, be active. Um, open our eyes and our ears to hear your word, that we would be impacted by your word, Lord, and uh, edified by this time and by our time together. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, okay, those of you who know me know I do all kinds of weird stuff with my bulletin kind of handout. If you have one, I'm sure there was not enough probably to cover everybody here. But if you have one that looks like this, blank on one side looks like this, um, the left side is for me. So I'm going to ask you if you would do me a favor. If you've been here um, the last few weeks especially, um, I would like to just give you a minute, actually several minutes, to just answer these questions. So um, I'll read through them if you have something to write with. If you would fill those out, and what I'm going to have you do with, then is tear this in half, and maybe uh, a couple of the guys could collect them. Don't put your name on it. You know, you don't, you're not going to get graded. Um, this is for me. This is to help me understand how well I've communicated and stuff. I know this is a little weird for our church, but if you know me by now, that's kind of me. I'm kind of different. So, um, and does anybody need a pen? Not have one? I have one pen. It's totally a cool turquoise colored ink. Good, then I get to keep it. Okay, there's an extra one if somebody needs one. So, um, I'll just read through the questions. You can go ahead and answer them. Uh, what do the words know, be, do, or if you prefer head, heart, hands? What does that mean to you? Um, it'll probably sound familiar if you've been here for a while. You can write a lot or a little. can even use illustrations if you like, if you tend to be that way. Uh, two, <clears throat> two to three things I've learned in the last two weeks about Matthew 6, 25 through 33. That's the last previous two weeks. That's what I've preached about. I mean, if you already know things about that, but you didn't learn that in the last couple of weeks, then you don't really have to put anything. <clears throat> And then following that would be two to three ways my beliefs have changed through the overall teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Uh, if, if you don't know, I have been speaking on, well, chapters 5 and 6 for off and on, mostly off, but um, I don't know, a couple of years or a year and a half, probably something like that. So list one, two, three, or no ways your beliefs have changed. The stuff you've learned in the last two weeks and the ways your beliefs may have changed.
And finally, how has my life been impacted or changed by any of the above? Any of the above? How's my life been impacted? And by that, I kind of mean, how does your life look different to somebody else? And if you need more time, that's fine. Just hang on to it. You can give it to me or somehow get it back to me next week or something. I know some people, um, I tend to be this way sometimes. They put you on the spot and sometimes I just totally draw a blank. So... And then I just want you to know I almost wore out this fingernail folding each of these one way and the other way. So it, hopefully you'll be able to tear it in half. Uh, and if you would do that, and uh, if any of the guys um, would, yeah, Brad maybe, and, uh, and Brad, and maybe George, would you help George maybe just collect them, pick them up? Just, just hold them up. Not looking for your name. Of course, if you don't pass the test, then you don't get lunch today. No, if you're regular, you know, I'm joking. Could, if you want, if it works better for you, you could leave them back there somewhere where George is sitting on the back on your way out. Or like I said, get it to me tomorrow or next week. You could get it to me tomorrow too. But Okay, uh, I don't know about you, but man, I was blessed, Tom, by your words. Very much. Your opening prayer and your remembrance. Yeah, it's just like, Amen. That's kind of what I felt like saying. It's like, that was, that was encouraging. Yeah, it was awesome. And it, it just fits. I mean, God is good. Um, and so, if you're wondering, what, where, where's Greg going? What is he doing with this? Uh, for your benefit, as I've preached through the Sermon on the Mount, probably the biggest thing is the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preached it, not necessarily like the popular movie would portray it or the popular series today would portray it, but his intent was to change the way we think. He had instituted at least the initial part of the kingdom of God of which he's the king and he rules in authority. He is the sovereign over his king. And it's not a kingdom of geographical place. It's not a kingdom of race or ethnicity It's a kingdom of people who submit now to the rule of the king and will come at a time where submission won't be required. So it's he in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, six and seven. He's instituting this, which is totally new and different. The Jewish people expected a more of a militaristic kingdom. 
And so he starts this kingdom, and it's intended to change the way we think. That's why all through there, he says things that almost have shock value. In fact, they would. They did, especially to that audience. So he wants to change the way we think. To me, that is a real important concept. Either your thinking is 100% correct, which I'll be the first to tell you it's not, or he wants to change it, right? He wants to change how we think. He wants us to become spiritually minded, to discern things through his word, spiritual things, to have spiritual eternal values and priorities. He wants his, what's important to him, to be important to us and for our lives to, to live in a, such a way that it reflects that. So, the reason I went to 2 Corinthians, well, there's two reasons. I won't tell you one because it sounds way too trivial, but my wife will know what it is. But the second one is, it's, to me, it's kind of a running diary. The whole letter, the second letter, Second uh, Corinthians, the letter, is a running diary from a person or people to a church or churches or people. And it's about this whole kingdom thinking and what it's looking like. And, and it happens decades after the Sermon on the Mount. So I just thought, whatever. Okay, so uh, if you have the whole thing or if you have the half of the thing, uh, 2 Corinthians is, and you can circle one in each column. If you're a student of the word, you should know these answers already. If you're not, um, I guess I will tell you. Uh, so 2 Corinthians is from the Apostle Paul? Is it from Paul and Timothy? Is it from Paul and Barnabas? Is it from Timothy and Peter? And by now you've realized the last one will be a joke for me. <laughs> Or is it from Peter, Paul, and Mary? And when I had my wife look this over, I said, is this too silly? And she's like, well, I hope not. And I said, well, I always kind of feel like the word isn't boring to me. Kids give me two thumbs up. Um, So I just, you know, I'm weird. I mean, that's all I can say. I'm not, you guys know, I'm not formal. I'm me. And you're stuck with, when I'm up here, you're stuck with me. So, 2 Corinthians is from, if you look at the first part of it, the answer is Paul and Timothy. Yeah, Paul always gets the credit and stuff, but he does say Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, and it's written to believers in Achaia, church in Corinth, both above, neither above, or followers on Twitter. It's written to both. both. Yeah, it says it right there. To the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Achaia was almost like a country. So it was like southern Greece. So he's writing it to this church. And by then, who knows, there might have been little spinoff house churches or something. And to believers. And, you know, we could ultimately say, and it's written to us and to all Christians and stuff, which it is. It's the word of God. Okay, so it's from Paul and Timothy. It's written to believers throughout that area and that church. And is it mostly personal? 
Is it mostly doctrinal? Is it mostly historical? Is it mostly eschatological? Or is it mostly epistological? That's not a word, is it, Spencer? I'm not sure that's the right spelling, but that's... It's close. I tried to make one up that sounded real, and then I thought, well, maybe if you're studying epistles, maybe that would be a word, but it's, it's meant to be a fictitious word. Okay, and, and in my view, I don't think there's a, exactly a correct answer, but in my view, I'd say it's mostly personal. I mean, as you read through it, it's very personal. And so when Paul's talking about all the people in Achaia and so on, but he's He's really talking to people in the church. They know him. He knows them. And so it's personal. Uh, what would be an example of a doctrinal book in the New Testament, especially? Roman. Roman. <laughs> of course. It's like the most doctrinal book, right? Okay, what would be a historical book in the New Testament? Shh. Acts. Yeah. It's a historical narrative of what happened from Jesus ascending to sometime shortly before Paul's death, which spans, what, 50 years, maybe? What would you say, Spencer? The book of Acts, yeah, beginning to end. About 35 years? 35 years? Yeah. A lot of time. Um, what would be a, an eschatological book in the New Testament? Revelations. Revelations, yeah. It's like, woof. That's all future... Um, prophetic end times kind of stuff. Okay, so my intent then was, okay, the kingdom, how the kingdom works, how do we live in the kingdom, how does this all work? And so I'm just informally going to go through 2 Corinthians um, up till chapter 6, or actually it'll probably be 7-1. I anticipate we'll be done early, which Anybody totally opposed to that? Shh. Anybody else? Right? We're okay with that? All right. Good. Okay, so we understand the beginning of Corinthians. So if you have a Bible or a Bible on a device, I'm just going to randomly kind of go through there. I haven't picked specific things. But my intent is for us to see how the kingdom of God changes how we think, it changes our values, it makes us different. Amen? Yeah, that awareness of the kingdom, that awareness that we are in the kingdom, it's hugely important. And, I don't know, it just seemed like this was a good time to talk about this. Um, as you know, there's no shortage of wars going on. And I think I mentioned last week how Russia is trying to force Ukraine to basically be in the kingdom of Russia, essentially, you know, under the domination and rule and influence. And Ukrainian people, for the most part, are not interested in that proposition, and they're fighting bravely and tenaciously to remain a sovereign state, a sovereign nation. They want to determine their own destiny as a country. They don't want to go back to being part of the USSR or having the Kremlin basically tell them what they can and cannot do. That's all about kingdom authority, right? And it's, I don't know if you followed it at all, it is amazing. Absolutely 
shocking. I mean, I thought I'd seen a lot and experienced a lot and been around a lot. It's incredible, the stuff that's going on. I mean, just today, the numbers of bodies of people that essentially were executed because they did not want to be under the rule and the realm of somebody else. Now, the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Right now, it's voluntary. He doesn't, the Lord does not make anybody be in subjection to his rule. Would you agree? Otherwise, this is all messed up. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's the king of kings. So right now, it's optional for humanity to voluntarily come under the rule and the authority and the values and the laws and the everything else that relate to the kingdom. There will come a time when it's no longer optional. And there even will come a time when everyone who's ever lived will bow and acknowledge the king. Right? That day will come. But for now... Believers, people who understand what we've done this morning, people who understand the gospel, are in the kingdom. When you're born again, he takes you from darkness to light. And sadly, too many Christians kind of stop there. I mean, that's just weird. But anyway, okay, so Corinthians. When you hear the word Corinthians, what do you think? You're already laughing. Leather. <laughs> Corinthian leather. What else? I mean, if you're a student of the Bible, what do you think? Sin problems. Sin problems. Yeah, they're messed up, right? This church was messed up, man. They had all kinds of immorality going on in their church. They had people doing stuff. They, I mean, it was messed up. And, yeah, they weren't perfect. So, yeah. So that's Corinthians. That's what we think. I kind of relate to it. I'm like, well, yeah. Gee, sin problem in a church? Who would have thought, right? Sexual issues going on in, in a society? Oh, yeah, we would never have that problem, right? I mean, we live in a society. I talked to a guy recently, a guy who's older than me, so he's been around, and he kind of has a little more perspective than I do. And he's like, you know, I think... I think maybe we've passed up Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm like, out of respect, I just listen, but I'm thinking, I don't think so, Glenn. I don't think so. Yeah, go back and reread what happened there. But we got junk, right? We got junk going on. And if you're totally invested in the United States of America or the state of Alaska or the municipality of Anchorage, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, right? I grew up in California. The old joke back then was Californians were all, what was it, flakes, fruits, and nuts, or something like that. Yeah, it was like breakfast cereal. So I'm just like, yeah, what do you expect? So the next time your government, federal government, state government, municipal government, does some weird thing and passes some weird thing, remember, you're in the kingdom, right? Now, that doesn't mean we're not to affect our society around us in a positive way. Jesus said, be salt, be light. But don't get your passport mixed up. You know what I mean? I have a heavenly 
passport. That's the one that counts. I have a U.S. passport, which will get me across the border, and that's kind of nice. But you have a heavenly passport. That's the one that matters. Okay. So, first off in Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about comfort. Actually, last night I underlined the word comfort. I used the ESV right here. I underlined the word comfort in that, what is it, third paragraph, verses 3 through 7. And I see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 underlines. So, if you're a student of the word and you read through that, right there, that should tell you, man, what's all this about comfort? He wants comfort, he's comforting them, they should comfort him. There's a lot of comfort that's happening here. And that should tell you something that God gives comfort. Okay? And he moves on, he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Now, if you read Acts, the book, that historical book, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always treated great, was he? What is one thing you think of? Just one of the things that happened to him. Prison time, yeah. 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 For his beliefs locked up. And I always think Philippians in that, it's like, would I be willing to go to jail to see the jailer and his household come to faith in Christ and eventually a church be established and it's in part of the Bible? Well, it depends. That dungeon probably wasn't all that great, right? So, yeah, prison time. Somebody else. Shipwreck. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the first one that comes to my mind, but... Stoned. And he was dead, right? I mean, they thought. They drug him out of the city. He was stoned. And, you know, this wasn't like their first time around stoning somebody. Somebody had to think, that guy's dead. So they drug his body out of the city. And Energizer Bunny, yeah, brush himself off. Probably. Did he still have, like, lumps on his head and stuff? I'm thinking he did, yeah. He must have been so bruised. Yeah, who knows what else happened. Okay, anything else? Bitten by a snake. Should have killed him, yeah. And he shook it off into the campfire. Yeah. Beaten with rods. I don't even know what that one means, but we all know that's going to hurt, right? That won't be good. <laughs> rejected by his family. Yeah, thank you. He was just flat out rejected. Yeah, so he's raised this orthodox, super strict, borderline, zealoty kind of guy who is so focused on serving God that he's dragging these weirdo cult Christian people into prisons, having them beaten, some are executed, right? That's what he's all about. And God intervenes, thank you God, and changes his whole life, changes his whole perspective, changes his whole value system. And it was all good from there on. No. Yeah, the first thing, like Rick mentioned, well, probably his family and friends, that was, they were done. Because Paul now has gone to the dark side in their mind. Yeah. And so then you would think, well, the church is like, woohoo, Paul, the bad guy, he's saved, right? No. They're like, you know, get away. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't trust that guy. He's just trying to be undercover. He's just telling us what we want to hear, right? Yes. Jed, are you actually taking notes? If you are, I'm so impressed. 
because this is the most rambling message. But okay, so so this is Paul. So when we read about him talking about hardship and things like that going on in the first page of my Bible in Second Corinthians, it makes sense. You know, he he paid a price. And then uh, moving through chapter two, one thing that got my attention, he said, um, speaking personally to this church. Um, somebody messed up there because he says in verse 8 so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, this guy for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything he's kind of indirectly saying are you living by the kingdom values or not are you obeying the teaching are you obeying the word anyone whom you forgive I also forgive indeed What I have forgiven, if I have anything, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Okay, if you're in the kingdom and you're learning what the kingdom is about, you have an enemy. If you're Ukrainian, you have an enemy. If you're a Rohingya in Thailand, I think it is, you have an enemy. Myanmar, thank you. Yeah, so there are enemies. And just by your association with something, you have an enemy. And we are in the ultimate realm of authority, the kingdom of God. We have the ultimate enemy, don't we? Satan. He can look good. He can sound good. He's been around a long time. He knows what works. Oh, yeah. We we are outmatched. One-on-one, or even all of us up against the enemy left to ourselves, we would be toast. Thanks be to God, we are not left to ourselves, right? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. But don't underestimate the enemy. And that's why he says, we don't want you to be outwitted. He is uh, mucho sabe. Very smart. Okay, so he goes on. Uh, in verse, or in chapter 3, now I'm also kind of using the, uh, whatever, in the outline of my Bible. Ministers of the New Covenant. Um, and Paul talks about, are we commending ourselves and all this? As, one thing you know in this is Paul's reputation had been criticized, right? Somebody, after Paul was in Corinth and then left, somebody came along and said, you, yeah, you can't go by everything he tells you. you know, that's the Apostle Paul. You know, he keeps getting thrown in jail and stuff. And so somebody else came along and really hurt his credibility. Has that ever happened to you? I don't mean you deserved your credibility to be... To be trash, but has that ever happened, really? Yeah, if it hasn't happened to all of us, but if it has happened to you, you can kind of relate to stuff like this. If you've only stood up for the gospel and what is right and suffered for it, then you can relate to something like this. And so that's why he's kind of like trying to reaffirm his apostolic credibility to the people in Corinth because somebody else had undermined it. And it was somebody, I don't know who it was, 
but it was somebody who was convincing, apparently. Um, okay, and then, it, so in uh, chapter 3, he's talking about letters and what is written, and he refers to them about being written on his heart or uh, those kind of things. And, he, and he's getting into that, but one thing that's highlighted in my Bible in verse 6 is he says, God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So he's talking about... Um, I probably won't say it, but this is all about living by the letter of the law of a religious system. Is it not, Kia? Yeah, Islam is all about the strictness of the law, their law, not this law, and how you must live by it. And even there were no shortage, Paul included, no shortage of Hebrews, Jews, who thought you could live by the letter. And it kills, right? I mean, if you try to be justified by the law alone, animals are sacrificed, and you will not ever be justified by your own effort, whether it's Old Testament, Quran, anything else. You will never, ever, ever have approval of the living God if it's by your own effort alone. That's how it works. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay. And then, so then he talks about Moses and the Jews and stuff. And he says at one point, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, they, the Jews, who are not born again Jews, they, uh, to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil, just like the veil Moses wore, remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So if you wonder, well, Jewish people, you know, that's the God of Abraham, so they're saved or whatever. No, they're not. Well, you know, but they got, yeah, they do. But there's a veil. Their eyes are blinded. And in Romans, it teaches there will come a time when God's going to rip that away and the nation of Israel will have a massive revival in recognizing and worshiping their Messiah. Am I correct? Okay. He'll get there later. <laughs> in another couple of weeks. <laughs> I know. I love you, bro. I have missed you. Seriously. I have. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And then he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That we have this treasure of the gospel, the truth, the grace, the one way people are saved. And it's by God doing all the work. And then we bring faith to it, which was a gift, and we believe. And then we unquestionably should repent and follow him and, and live under this kingdom authority. And Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay, not in gold vessels in the temple and all this. In jars of clay, that's you and me. We're just like made from dirt and we'll go back to the dirt. Right? Physically speaking. Okay. And he says, we do not lose heart for light and momentary affliction. You have to be kingdom-minded to think, if I'm suffering for Jesus right now, it's light. And it's momentary. You have to have a firm 
grasp on eternity and it is coming right for this to seem like this is light and momentary okay um chapter five god has given us a spirit as a guarantee so god doesn't just give you a bunch of hot air every other faith religion in the world it will be built on works on what you do And you will not be given the Spirit as something that you either know from the Word and believe or even sense. Unless, of course, you do, and that's not going to be good in another faith, if you get what I'm saying. But God has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to live kingdom principles, to live it out. And he says, we make it our aim to please him, whether we're here in the body or dead. We're always thinking that way, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is 510. So that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I think if there's something that's terribly missing in the evangelical church today, it's the healthy fear of the Lord. And that word fear, from what I could tell, means fear. Your Bible might even say terror. It's fear, right? Now, yeah, God is my father, and I can even call him Abba, Daddy, Papa. But he's fearsome. He's adopted me as his son and his child. But he is the living God. He is the ancient of days. He has always existed. The little burning bush thing that Moses saw, man, that was just like nothing. It wasn't even a firecracker for, you know, New Year's Eve or something. Usually, if... I think probably without exception, but usually if anybody encounters God, which first of all is not God the Father, because the Bible tells us if that happens, you're toast. You will not live to come into the the immediate encounter with God the Father. But you can experience the Son in one way or another. And usually when that happens, people fall on their face. So... Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you today. These don't cancel each other out. You know, the love of God does not cancel out the fear of God. Yes, there's a fear of judgment. Well, it's kind of what he was just talking about. But there's a a fear, a healthy fear. If he can throw galaxies out, out across the universe, and he didn't even do it with his hand, should we not fear him? Right? And then that motivates us to walk holy before him. If I'm just casual about God, that's not good. I can be confident in his love for me, but not really casual. Do you know what I'm saying? Fear. And it's not a fear of mistrust. Ukrainians have a fear of Russians. Well, they should right now. But that has nothing to do with 
trust. If we are reconciled, as was said earlier, to God through Christ, we don't have to fear him out of, you know, I don't know what he's going to do or, you know, that kind of a thing. We can stand in trust knowing he loves us so much he gave his son. But he's still God, right? If you ever saw the lion, the witch, in the wardrobe, remember when somebody asked, is Aslan safe? And who was it, the beaver or somebody? Like, safe? No way, he ain't safe. <laughs> he's not safe. And in a lot of ways, that's how God is. He's dependable. He's truthful to his word. He's a loving God, but he gets angry. He is to be feared. He is to be respected. That's not really PC in our day, but it comes from the word. Okay. He says in verse 14, chapter 5, For the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Paul, Timothy, these apostles and those with him. It's the love of Christ that controls us, it compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus, the one, has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That is exactly the gospel we celebrate. Exactly. And if you take a piece of that and you drink the juice from one of those cups, you cannot give yourself the exclusion of, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. You can't take that out. You can't say, well, I don't really have to live for him. I'm saved by grace. You can't. It's all part of the same thing. To know Christ is to know I have no claim on my life. He has purchased it with something far more valuable than grape juice. And it's his. My life is now his. That's the kingdom. That's living in the kingdom. It's like it's not about me now. And we still let the world's value press press in on us and say, no, it's about you, man. Everything is about you. You can even be God, or you can decide who is God and how God works. You can make it all up yourself. They don't say that, but that's what's going on all over the place. We're all God together, or there is no God. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is there is one God. He has always existed. At the right time, he sent his son. He died. He suffered. He died. He was buried, he rose again, and he ascended. And that's where we are, in the kingdom, until the king comes back. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Have you followed any of this stuff going on with different world powers and, you know, the UN and all this kind of stuff? I don't know if everybody's really speaking for whoever they're supposed to be speaking for, but man, it's messed up. I mean, one person says, that's black. Somebody else says, that's white. It's like, well, it can't be both. I mean, I heard today Russia said all those hundreds of people that were executed, the Ukrainians did that. It's like, okay, now I'm not ripping Russia or Ukraine, but really? 
What, does that make sense to me? No. And what he's saying here is we are ambassadors to Christ. My opinions on things like Russia and Mr. Vladimir Putin don't really have any value unless it's in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, my opinion on Vladimir Putin is save that man, Lord. Save that man. And God does that. He saved Paul. He could save Putin. Can you imagine if Putin got saved? Well, somebody would probably kill him in short order, but that'd be awesome for him. So my opinions don't matter. He says, uh, we don't regard, verse 16, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. That means the worldly way of relating to people and looking at people, we don't do that anymore in the kingdom. So I don't think, oh, the rich and the beautiful and the powerful. I am so sick of politics. <laughs> but I, I can't do that. I can't think, oh, yeah, I cater to this person. But, you know, that, nah, that person's not worth my time. Jesus spent his time with a lot of those and spent a lot of his time rebuking those, right? Yeah, so we can't regard anyone according to the flesh. And he says the beautiful verse in, in 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's newly created. The old has gone, the new has come. If Vladimir Putin got saved, he would be a child of God. And if you pray about that war in Europe, pray for God's people. I, I know this might sound weird, but I'm pretty convinced there are probably born-again Christians that are serving in the Russian forces in Ukraine. How that works, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that's who you pray for. And you, and you pray for the Ukrainian uh, Christians to represent Christ to their oppressors, even their murderers. That's how you pray in a situation like that. And finally, he says, not finally, but finally for me, um, we implore you on behalf of Christ. He's speaking for Jesus, and he's saying, "For our, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we talked about earlier. Reconciliation. Without Christ, we're all separate. We're all enemies. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus knew sin, right? I mean, he knew what sin was all about. He would tell people, go and sin no more. He knew sin, but he didn't know it deeply, internally, because he was sinless. So he, who was without sin, who was perfectly pure, who did not have a sin nature, took on sin. Every despicable thing that is happening in Eastern Europe right now, he took it on. And everything before that and everything after that. But if you just see some of the, the things that have happened or read about them, the precious, perfect Son of God received that on himself.
And then he says in chapter 6, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. A lot of these passages here, evangelists use a lot. Um, I don't really have time to read chapter 6, but he says things like, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's frequently applied to marriage. Wisely applied to marriage, probably business partnerships, in any way that a believer and an unbeliever would be brought together. But I would say unless you understand kingdom values, kingdom priorities, you will be unequally yoked with the world because you will be struggling between what the world says is important and continually presses upon you and what God says is important. And you guys know it's way different, way different. All right, I will finish with this. Paul's quoting Old Testament stuff here. When God came to essentially dwell with the children of Israel, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, and then, uh, well, even eventually in the temple, you know, he gave a visible demonstration of his presence there. But uh, in the wilderness, um, it was so radically different for them because there were many gods people could worship. Um, there was all kinds of corrupt things. I mean, Corinth even had all kinds of weird stuff. But he quotes this here. I will read in... Uh, 6, 16 through 18. God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Talking to the Israelites in the wilderness. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He's not telling them to save themselves. He's not telling them that he won't receive them until they're perfectly cleaned up and all that, or it would never happen. But he's saying in the conscious awareness of God's presence, live appropriately. And that's what we have to do. We have to live appropriately. We have to make right decisions. In one of these letters to the Corinthians, he talks about, you know, a man having relations with a prostitute. And he's like, dude, seriously? You have the spirit of God. How can you connect bodies when you're dwelt, the spirit of God lives in you? And this is pretty much what this is about. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 7, since we have these promises, the presence of God. You know, from Revelation, Jesus is present. He's present here. Isn't that weird? I don't mean weird in a bad way. I mean weird in a this way. Isn't that, is that not weird? That somehow Jesus, the Spirit of God, is here, is present with us. So how then should we live? And when I leave church and go home, the Spirit of God is present with me. How then should I live? Since we have these promises, beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And that completion, he doesn't mean that you will attain perfect holiness and sinlessness in this life. A wise person once told me, potentially, that is true, that potentially we could attain that sinless state, but it ain't never going to happen. I'm kind of like quoting you. I hope I did it reasonably accurate. <laughs> that we have the Spirit of God and all the power available, the, the perfect Spirit of God available to me that I can live up to the standard that God wants. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not even close. And I'll be one of the first to tell you, neither are you. But don't be discouraged. Press on. Live in the kingdom. Right? We have the Spirit of God. When you're facing those same old kind of struggles and temptations, you have the Spirit of God. You're in the kingdom. Don't use earthly things to deal with that. All right. Thank you, Lord. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be here to share your word and I am so grateful for all that you do in my life um, I would pray for all of us that we would come maybe to a little better holy fear of you as we rejoice um, and just are thrilled with your love for us and our acceptance through Christ Thank you, Lord. Be glorified here in our lives together as we fellowship and the rest of this day and in the coming week. May Jesus look good through his people, I pray in his name. Amen.